Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2024. Today on Cars Yeah, we're celebrating the Palm event that takes place March 18th through the 20th at the Mar-a-Lago Club in beautiful Palm Beach, Florida. It's a weekend celebration of motorsports where guests enjoy amazing automobiles, gourmet food, fine wine, and breathtaking fashion. Plus, there's a rally too, all while raising money for a worthy cause. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in beautiful, sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida, with a very special guest by the name of Larry Prince. Larry, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am absolutely ready. All right. I think you're always ready with your <laughs> life around cars. Now, before I give you a proper introduction, what's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Larry? Um, most people do not know that I actually started my career as a cartoonist. Um, really? And I'm still a member of the National Cartoonist Society. And it was, it was a fun gig. I mean, I started writing pretty much because cartooning is actually more about the writing than it is about the drawing. I mean, you, you can, drawing is certainly a required talent, but if the joke isn't any good, if you can't, don't have a good story, you don't have a good cartoon. Mm. It reminds me of, I always like watching the old Seinfeld shows and there was one where Elaine was, went into the, I think it was the New Yorker and she didn't understand a cartoon <laughs> and it turns out they didn't get it either. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I always remember that scene. So that's quite a talent, combining your skills as an artist with uh, your uh, commentary about social norms or whatever it might be. So fun stuff. You know, after getting a couple death threats, I decided oh. to sort of lay the pen aside as an editorial cartoonist. But um, I still do draw from time to time. I, I'm actually, I just completed a couple posters for the upcoming Grand National, uh, the Antique Automobile Club of America Grand National, which is being held uh, in May in Virginia Beach. Well, there you go. You're much more than a doodler then. <laughs> for yeah, sure. oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, very nice. All right. Well, let me give you a proper introduction, and we're going to talk a bit about your life and a little bit about the Palm event. Larry Prince has been one of the nation's top journalists for more than two decades. His automotive column, distributed by Tribune News Services, reaches nearly 9 million readers nationwide and many more internationally. Most recently, Larry was named executive editor at the DetroitBureau.com, a growing authoritative news source in the automotive world. He was the first editor-in-chief at Dealer.com, one of the nation's top automotive dot-coms, and Fox Business News sought him out as an expert commentator. Larry has worked for a number of nation's top media companies, and his work is sought out by Audi USA, Ford Motor Company, to name a few. In 2021, he won three Automotive Heritage Foundation Awards. Congratulations. Up from the two he'd won in 2020, and he completed two posters, as he said, for the Antique Automobile Club of America in 2022 Grand Nationals uh, to be held in May of 2022 in beautiful Virginia Beach. Very cool. Can't wait to see that. In his spare time, Larry serves as an MC and judge at top collector car shows across the United States, including a chief judge at the Palm event. We're going to be talking about that today, taking place at the beautiful Mar-a-Lago Club in Palm Beach, Florida. We'll be back in just a minute, but first a word from our valued sponsor. So give them a little listen and we'll be right back. 
Covercraft's newest five-layer indoor cover is especially engineered for indoor use, providing maximum dust protection when your vehicle's stored in the garage. Your five-layer indoor cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form, and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. Even if your vehicle is always inside, dust and fallout can damage the paint, and an extra layer of soft, Breathable material protects from accidental bumps and rubs. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover, custom fit to fit the car like a glove. And I have a deal for you. If you use the code YA21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your order plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off and free shipping. Simply use the code YAH, Y-E-A-H-2-1, at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. I was tired of my rates for my collector car insurance going up every year for no explainable reason. My carrier seemed to be turning into a media company versus an insurance company, and I realized that a portion of my policy premium was paying for all those so-called free media goodies. So I did my homework, I talked to knowledgeable collectors, shopped around, and discovered American Collectors Insurance. They've been serving the collector car hobby since 1976. You last that long by properly serving your customers' insurance need, not with a lot of fluff. ACI is ranked the number one online collector car insurance provider, according to Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and they offer their real person guarantee live support. No never-ending phone loops when you need help. Plus, because you don't use your classic car as a daily driver, you could save up to 40% compared to regular auto insurance. American Collectors Insurance provides agreed value policies. So if you experience a total loss to your collector vehicle or it's stolen, you'll be paid the amount listed on your declaration page, less any deductibles, of course. No ifs, ands, or buts. Give them a call today and ask for your free quote at 866-A-C-I-Y-E-A-H. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Greens, at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. I've teamed up with AutoGeek because, well, they've been the leading source of auto detailing products, accessories, for more than 20 years. Their Pinnacle Sovereign Paste Wax is specially formulated from Brazilian Carnuba Wax. It's easy to apply on any paint surface and provides that warm glow that we love, especially me on my vehicles. You're going to love it too. A favorite of car shows countrywide, Pinnacle Sovereign Paste Wax from AutoGeek wipes on easily, requires no drying time, is easy to remove, and provides up to 90 days of protection against damaging environmental contaminants. This wax is designed to exceed the standards of the most discriminating enthusiasts and collectors. Go to autogeek.net to get yours for the best product selection on the internet today, along with their very skilled technical support. Autogeek.net. That's where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. So, Larry, let's dive a little deeper into your life. Wow, uh, you have done a lot of things in the worlds of uh, world of uh, auto journalism. I'm talking to a pro here, which is pretty cool. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved in this? You mentioned earlier being a, a cartoonist and going into this world. 
and what it's meant to you. And then I also want to talk a bit about your involvement with the Palm event because we're promoting that this week. So take it away. Well, actually, I started uh, in the world of newspapers, and it was almost by accident. I was doing some writing on the side. Uh, of course, I was in the art world, uh, in the art department at the newspaper. But the city editor stood up one day and said, hey, does anyone know anything about Austin Healy's? And uh, this was back in 1994 when Austin Healy's were not held in the high regard they are now because their annual convention was held at a Days Inn in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So I said, I do, and uh, they were willing to give me a chance to write the story. So I went out uh, to see the club, and as it turns out, Gerald Coker was there. Uh, Gerald Coker was the designer of the Austin Healey 100 and the Bug Eye Sprite. They were the first two cars he had ever designed. I'm, it's kind of like designing the Austin Healey 100 as your first car. is like being Orson Welles and your first movie as Citizen Kane. I, I mean, yeah. you know, how do you follow it up? Had a great interview, wrote the story, came and actually art directed the story, chose the photos. I mean, did everything. Um, it was a success. And probably within a year, I had an, a car column. Um, and the newspaper was owned by the L.A. Times. So it very quickly got picked up by the L.A. Times Washington Post Syndicate. Nice. And then uh, Knight Ritter Tribune Syndicate as well. Um, and I'm still with them. It's now Tribune. But so I've been with them over a couple decades. Wow. So you get very deep into the automotive world. Do you mainly focus on newer vehicles, older vehicles? Or has it been a big combination of both? Yeah, I mean, I do for maybe in my freelance work, I tend to do more of a concentration on older vehicles, um, working for Ars Technica or Haggerty. But my column mainly focuses on the new car industry and certainly my work at the Detroit Bureau. The majority of it is new cars, although we do on Saturdays, we do a, a look back feature that we call the rearview mirror. And it concentrates on a historic automotive event that happened that week. So I think that's always kind of interesting because, you know, you go through life and you're thinking, well, what happened this week, you know, 80 years ago in the auto industry? What we tell you. So, yeah, so it's always fun. Now, have you always, always been passionate about cars? Did this start when you were a kid or something that you uh, grew into? Uh, always was. Uh, I had a Studebaker Lark Matchbox car. But, of course, by the time I had it, Studebaker was long gone. And I asked my folks one day, what's a Studebaker? Because it said Studebaker on the bottom. And uh, they bought me a book for kids on antique cars. And that's, it's just been a lifelong passion. And I believe in, you know, what Robert Frost said, my life's ambition is for my avocation and vocation to become one. And I think that's really good advice for people who have to work for a living. Well, it's what Cars Yeah is all about. When I started this podcast, I sat around, I didn't know what a podcast was to begin with, but I sat around <laughs> thinking, what can I talk about that might be interesting? And and it was exactly that, was inspiring automotive enthusiasts, is trying to help people that wish they were having fun with cars like you and I, that there are many opportunities and many ways to do that. And by talking to people who figured it out, I will say I'm really happy when I get these emails from people every week saying, you know what, I've decided to go have fun in my life and change my career path to something I want to do. And by golly, there's lots of ways to do it, right? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I will say just being in media my whole career is uh, that the places I've gone, the people I've met, it, it hasn't, I can't say it's always been the most financially lucrative. You know, I, I wish, there are times I wish I owned like a trash hauling company because that <laughs> I, that way I could really make money and it can't be outsourced to China and it won't be replaced by robots. But the life, the quality of the life I've led has been incredible. I've just loved it. Meeting some of my favorite car designers and, and driving these cars in beautiful places. It's been a lot of fun. 
You know, I had a, a good friend up here in the Northwest when I was racing vintage cars. He was a big vintage racer. He was a pro, ran a pro racing team, Bruce Levin, uh, Bayside Disposal, and he made his fortune on the trash business and then uh, parlayed that into racing. And he said, you know, I made a whole lot of money in the trash business and I thought I was a pretty smart guy. And then I started racing and I lost half of it. So I had to start another trash business to keep that habit going. So <laughs> yeah, he was a he was an interesting guy. I was thinking about him this weekend. Uh, somebody was uh, looking at one of his old cars. He had quite a collection to buy and was asking if I had photographs of it. And I did, which was surprising. So uh, yeah, hopefully uh, that old truck of Bruce's uh, went to uh, one of my other friends. So that's pretty darn cool. Let's talk about the Palm event because you've gotten involved with our past guest, Scott Trader, who's put this event together and you're a chief judge there. Uh, Your involvement with the judging and going to car events, how did that all start? Totally by accident. (laughs) Like so much of my life. I was at the Greenwich Concours probably couple decades ago, a friend of mine was the assistant chief judge for that show. And he came up to me and he says, Larry, he says, we don't have enough judges today. I said, he said, do you want to judge? I said, well, I've never judged a Concord. He gave me this what speech on what to look for. He says, you have the background. You know about old cars. You know what's right and what's not. And we went through the whole thing and uh, started to judge there. And it just exponentially grew to different shows. I think my favorite time was when uh, it was a really hot morning we were having the judges meeting it was 8 a.m and greenwich is always june first weekend in june so it's always miserably hot mm-hmm. the building we're in doesn't have air conditioning oh no and um we're all in the blue blazers white shirts red ties yeah. you know the, yeah the outfit and someone asked the show's the guy who owns the show hey bruce do we have to wear you know jackets and ties while we're judging it's so hot today he says absolutely you must wear a jacket and tie while judging and david e davis jr the the great uh editor from car driver he pipes up he says yeah bruce but do we have to wear pants (laughs) it sounds like something he would say It's it's a lot of fun. I just judged Boca Concours this weekend. I was at the Miami Concours last weekend. Uh, so it's really fun. Now, Amelia Island, I'm going to be judging a supercar class or competition on Saturday. And I get to do that with Jay Ward of Pixar. Who, oh, my um, gosh. Wow. Of course, we know, all know who that is, the director of cars and a big car enthusiast himself. And I've gotten to know him just because, well, I can draw. And and among people at a car show, there aren't many who can draw. So, But I've gotten to know him. So I'll be, be real tickled to judge with him this coming weekend. Well, cool. Well, uh, so you probably know Mary Winterstrom from the Greenwich Concours. Absolutely. She's a dear friend. Yeah, great lady. She's been fun. Uh, uh, she's brought me many great guests here on the show, and uh, she's part of the, the Chowder Club, too. Uh, one of those. Are you involved I am, with them? I am a Chowderhead, yes. There you go. The Madison Avenue Sports Car Driving and Chowder Society. I am proudly a vice president. By the way, as all members are, except for founding members who... Probably most of them are dead by this point, but their presidents, anyone who's joined since is only a vice president. Ah, there you go. (laughs) It's a great group of people. So many cool people in that group. Well, let's talk about the Palm event. Uh, Give our listeners uh, their interpretations coming up uh, quickly here on the 18th, starts on the 18th of March. Uh, But it's a wonderful event. When I had Scott on the show, he kind of outlined it as a very different kind of concourse, really more of a lifestyle event than a proper concourse. But I've been at an event at the Mar-a-Lago Club. Uh, I used to go to the Cavallino event, and on Sunday they would have an extension of their concourse, which took place at the Breakers on Saturday, and they would have all the marvelous cars parked around that the grounds of that incredible home, historic home, and so forth. In fact, I met uh, President Donald Trump long before he was president 
early one morning, he was walking across the lawn and I went over to just introduce myself and say hello. And uh, he was quite funny, very nice, spent a little bit of time with me. But I remember one thing he said, he said, I hope these cars aren't leaking on my grass. And <laughs> <laughs> that was a kind of, kind of a fun thing for him to say, but wonderful venue, wonderful thing. And, and your chief judge, congratulations. Well, thank you. The Classic Sports Sunday, which is the Cavalino extension, I'm involved with that too. I'm ju- I do judge there. The thi- Mar-a-Lago is a very pretty place, and it's a magnificent facility. The inside of the home is spectacular. Oh, yeah. Interestingly enough, it was the smallest estate when it was built on the island. Um, now it's the largest one remaining because all of the estates have been so subdivided up. But it's a lovely place to have a show. The aura of it is just incredible. The staff is great. The food is great. I don't want to sound like an ad for it, but I will. As a place to hold a car show, it's first of all, it's probably one of the only places you can do it on the island. But the history, the feel of the, the beautiful grounds are really a great framework for the cars. Our show in particular is kind of like the quail. If you've ever been to the quail lodge show during car week out of Pebble Beach, it's similar in that the cars are in the center of the field and then the field itself is framed by lifestyle vendors. We, um, the small ballroom at Mar-a-Lago is filled with ladies' fashions and we have a ladies' fashion show, um, which means that we get a lot of women at our show, which is really unusual for a car show, but it's because there's something for them to do besides look at cars. Right, right. For a man, you know, there's a cigar bar, there are vodka and wine tastings, there are art galleries. So there are all these kind of vendors from the island and near the island who come and it's it's a lifestyle event as much as it is a car show. And that really affects the judging. Um, we do strict French rules. So we don't start the engines. We don't make sure the lights work. None of that. It is a classic, classic Concours in that sense, in that prettiest car wins. Yeah, it's it's spectacular. And I've been to the Quail. It's a very, for that whole car week in Pebble Beach, they're all wonderful events, but it has a whole different vibe. You don't want to leave. You just want to hang out. I always stay to the almost the very last car rolls yeah. off the lawn, mainly for traffic reasons around the Monterey Peninsula because they're so crazy after that day of all the different events. But Mar-a-Lago, yeah, what a wonderful, spectacular event. We are limited. Um, we can only have so many people at Mar-a-Lago, and the event sells out every year, and we usually have a pretty long waiting list for tickets. Um, so tickets are currently available, I'm going to say. The show's on Sunday, and there are some ancillary events that happen Friday and Saturday as well, uh, on the island, of course. And of course, it helps if you have a beautiful car to bring to the show. Uh, we have all kinds of cars there. It's everything from the latest hypercars and supercars like Pagani's to, uh, we had a Type 57C this past year, uh, Bugatti. So it, it and everything in between. You know, we had a Lincoln Mark V. Uh, so there was a Brome on the field. It's just about great cars, all kinds of car enthusiasm. We certainly have certainly a good dose of Ferraris every year because Scott is involved with the local Ferrari club. So we always have a really tasty selection of Ferraris. And, nice. you know, that never won't, no one ever gets tired of looking at Ferraris. A tasty selection of Ferraris. Yes, nicely put. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, it's a wonderful event. And uh, as Larry said, there are some tickets available, but they do sell out. So if you're going to find yourself later this month uh, at or in Florida, in that area, or anywhere near that area, or you're flying in, uh, this is one of those events you're going to really, really like because it's very different, very casual, very upscale, and wonderful vehicles as well. So check it out. 
It's an automotive garden party. That's basically what it is. I love it. It's great. I'll put a link to the website. Very easy to find, though. Uh, ThePalmEvent.com. Easy to find online. Get your tickets now. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what I call driving inspirations. Key mentors in your life. People that have been very influential. Maybe one or two you'd like to mention. There are a couple of writers who have been very influential, actually. A real key one uh, was P.J. O'Rourke, who just passed oh gosh, away. We just lost him, yeah. And he didn't do a lot of automotive writing, but when he did, it was just so inspired. And one of the things that really influenced me was how he applied just things in life to a car, how he tried to personify the car and how it just fit into what he did day to day. And of course, with a heavy sense of humor. And I think that makes a whole world of difference when you're dealing with automotive journalism, because look, we're not curing cancer here. We're talking about cars. So to sort of have a healthy dose of humor in there, it's a cartoonist in me, I guess. I think it just makes a difference and it makes it more readable. And certainly PJ was like that. I remember he did a story that was headlined, bump, skip, bump, skip, yip, 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 which is <laughs> the sound your Lamborghini makes running over your neighbor's poodle. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. Another huge influence writing-wise um, was Jeremy Clarkson. And I know a lot of people know him from Top Gear and uh, the Grand Tour, but most people have not read his writing and what is what you're really missing something he is a pretty brilliant writer and he can do a car column where three quarters of it has nothing to do with cars and he somehow <laughs> loops you back into it and so it, those are two people who have certainly heavily influenced my writing style and how i report on cars you know, Jeremy Clarkson's interesting because he can be a bit polarizing. And some people, you mention his name, they go, oh, and others go, I love that guy. I loved his latest series. In fact, my wife even enjoyed it. And she typically is not really into cars very much. She tolerates my passion and supports it, of course. Clarkson's Farm. Did you see that series? I have started to watch it. Someone told me about it. And uh, it's, 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 it's really wonderful. It's a lot of fun. Again, I wouldn't mind having his cash flow. No, not at all. None of us would. And yeah, as far as a farmer goes, I think it was pretty interesting because at first, you know, you can come across as a bit pompous sometimes. And I love the beginning where he goes to buy a tractor and he goes, how fast are these tractors? Oh, 20 miles an hour, 24. And he goes, ah, this won't do. And the next scene is him in a brand new Lamborghini tractor. <laughs> you know what was wonderful? I think that experience for him, at least it came across in the show, very humbling and he became very, very respectful of farmers and the challenges they face. And my father grew up on a farm. My grandpa was a true farmer cowboy in Texas, uh, had cattle and raised wheat. And the, the hard work that the farmer across the world, but I'll talk about the United States, and what their lifestyle is and the down-to-earth of them, I think at the very end, I felt that from him. He went, wow, I really have a lot of average, because he failed at everything as a farmer, uh, at least on the show. That was the you know self-deprecation that he put there. I really respect farmers. It's a lot of hard work. Um, a lot of times, a lot of thankless work. And uh, they put a lot on the line. Oh, yeah. And you work for months and you hope the crop yields a significant result. Uh, it's an amazing gamble to take season after season after season. It certainly takes a special type of person to do it, but one we're all grateful for. Absolutely. That's why we all have food on our plates. Let's take a short break. We come back. I want to talk a bit about a challenge that you faced in your career, your life. So keep the seatbelts cinched tight and we'll be right back. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? 
With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! So Larry, let's talk about this. I like to ask my guests about challenges, failures, something they had to overcome. But the real story here is more in the lesson that it taught you. So take us on a bit of a a rough ride, if you will. It probably, well, it came from editorial cartooning. And it's when I received death threats Hmm. um, for my cartoons. Um, They're both of them. It happened twice. They were both anti-Semitic death threats. And so that made it a federal case because it's a federal crime to to do that. Uh-huh, yeah. And, at, you know, I was relatively young. And the first one, I don't know that I thought much of it. I mean, the FBI got involved. Uh, they tracked the guy down because he left the threat on my voicemail at the office, which makes it fairly easy to track down. My best friend's father was one of the local federal judges. And, of course, he handled the case and the guy got Max. It didn't bother me because I thought, well, these things happen. I kind of brushed it off. But then it happened a second time. And that really scared me. Again, the same, we had the same result, but it taught me. And by that point, I did have the automotive column. And it made me think about criticism and how to do criticism fairly. Because especially as a young writer and as a new writer, it's so much fun to rip down the wall, so to speak, and write something scathing. But you realize the effect or impact that it has. And you really want to be fair about your criticism. And it it really stopped me from always taking out the knives. I can still take out the knives. Mitsubishi does not talk to me right now Mm. um, because (laughs) because of one of my reviews. But uh, and, And at the same, it was not long after I had lost all Ford Motor Company advertising for my newspaper. And at the time, that included Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln. Uh-oh, wow. And uh, I remember when that happened. And all of that, I did not lose my job over it. David E. Davis was very nice. And he said, kid, he said, you're not a real journalist who you've lost money for your employer over a review. Mm. But all of those things sort of really impacted me and made me think about how I, how to approach criticism and how to do it fairly without pissing them off. And I think that's really important because you do have to be critical. It has to be fair because if all you're doing is writing a positive review week after week after week, you're just a PR machine. You're, you're not a true journalist. A true journalist will dig into this and will dig into a car and say, no, you know, this really stinks. And 
I'm always surprised, for instance, that more criticism doesn't come about for, say, Honda's, well, I, not just Honda, any of the Japanese infotainment systems, because they're all so terrible. Oh. <laughs> um, Toyota has finally turned a corner on this. They handed out their, over their design of their new system to Americans, and the result is far, far better. But, you know, there are common elements and things that certainly journalists are aware of, but that don't get reported as much as they should. And I don't know if it's a timidity about being critical and maybe losing the chance to drive a car or whatever. I find that most manufacturers are very fair about criticism as long as your criticism is fair. Mm, yeah. And it's not just taking a pot shot, which yeah. is very easy to do. You know, my previous career I had, uh, I received a, a phone and death threat strangely for mailing catalogs to somebody's house. And yeah, when I hung up the phone, my old business partner walked in. He goes, he said, what's going on? Your face looks a little odd. And I said, yeah, I just received a death threat. Am I supposed to take this seriously? Or this is, wow, that doesn't feel too good. So, uh, and in your world, yeah, uh, anti-Semitic uh, discourse to that or whatever reason. Yeah. And you just go, whoa. Well, Hebdo was the cartoonist, uh, French cartoonist Hebdo was killed over a cartoon. But most of the time, uh, that was not the issue. So that was a real challenge. It, and, you know, you kind of, fate is kind of a gate that hits you in the ass until you get the message. And so it hit me over the head a few times. So I realized that criticism has to be fair and balance. And I know that sounds like Fox and I don't, I mean, really fair and balanced. Like it has to be an honest critique. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And even then the uh, recipient may not feel it's fair and balanced because they live in, in their perspective. So there you go. You have to be ready for a little pushback from the automakers and, but that's fair. No one's going to read your column if you're just going to be a PR machine. Yeah. Yeah. Or just print ads for sure. And I, that's maybe why a lot of magazines have disappeared. Who knows? There you go. Well, let's talk about special vehicles and get onto something maybe a little more fun than death threats. A lot more fun than <laughs> death threats. Is there a special vehicle in your life? And if so, tell me about that ride. Actually, it's funny. I don't own a car right now. Um, I haven't owned a car. Wait I haven't a owned a car hold, for hold several on. years. You, you don't? Okay. This is a, a unique one. So. Um, why not? I, I've owned cars on and off over the years. Uh, there are so many to drive. I, I'm i never without one. Oh, uh, okay. Well, really. there, you don't need and, one. And, and the, the reality is uh, most auto journalists will tell you they don't drive their own cars very often. Actually, the last car I had was an old car because it can sit for months without driving it. Um, it was a 1971 Buick Riviera. So that was the cool. Boatail. Jerry Hirschberg designed that. Uh, yeah. He ended up later going on to become the first head of design for Infinity. And it was originally, uh, I just was talking to Kip Wasenko, uh, the GM design, former GM designer who's now retired. I saw him over the weekend. And he said he remembered when he was hired, he saw the clay model for that car. It was originally on the A-body frame, the mid-size frame. And uh, we all know the story. It actually got executive said that won't do and they insisted that it be put on the sea body frame the full-size car frame and uh, bill mitchell said that's when a speedboat became a tugboat but it still was a really brilliant design and i always loved it and i found one with forty-seven thousand original miles from new it's now in bilbao spain i'm not sure how it gets down the streets of bilbao spain wow. but it had an odd mix of options it had a power bench seat it did not have buckets or a console am fm radio win windows locks 
and base wheel covers. It, it, it did not have traction control. Traction control was actually offered for Buick for 1971 and then full-size Buicks for 72. And then they dropped it for 73 because they couldn't get it to work with emissions uh, requirements that year. But it was called MaxTrack. Oh, wow. You know, I had recently a past, he's retired now, John Houlihan, who was, uh, he worked in oh, the, uh, yeah. adva- you probably know, advanced studio design, and he was heavily involved in the 71 Buick Riviera Boat Tail Project and talked about that on uh, our discussion here on Cars Yeah. It was quite interesting and exactly what you're talking about uh, and the difficulties with that car and how some in the uh, uh, the higher ups are saying, no way, we're never going to do it. But guys, it's gone on to be an iconic car, a beautiful vehicle. The value on them have, has really jumped, but I love the car because, I, like I said, I could throw it in the garage and let it sit on a battery tender for three months and yep. <laughs> not have to worry about it. And it grew in value while I owned it, you know, unlike a new car. I'm in an apartment building now, so I don't have a place to, to put a battery tender, so I don't have anything right now. Uh, but, yeah. uh, the wheels the wheels are always turning, but I always have access to cars. So I, I, I know that sounds unusual that an auto writer wouldn't have a car, but if you think about it, it also makes me totally unbiased because I don't own one. Well, <laughs> lucky. I've got a lot of friends who are in that world and I see on social media, the cars they get to drive every week. I'm like, oh, that would be cool. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Well, I'm going to be your car psychologist today. Kind of crawl into your skull. <laughs> All right. So if you were manifest sure. as a vehicle, this isn't what you want to be. This is how you <laughs> perceive the man in the mirror. What would you be and why? I would perceive myself to be probably be something like, I don't know, a uh, Rolls Royce race or a Bentley Continental Ooh. because it's just a grand touring kind of car, sophisticated. And I love speed. So I, I, I don't know why those, but it's actually, that's the kind of car that I tend to like but that's i guess i've if i had to put my son in a vehicle i think i that would would be it i love to dress well um and people who know me know that know that about me Uh and uh, certainly my closet is filled with i have a walk-in closet and it's certainly filled with clothes and uh, yeah it's just i like it i i love the uh high-flying you know lifestyle. Well, you certainly hang out with a lot of the greatest uh, car events in the world too. So that adds to the persona as well. So very, very nicely done. So let's talk a little bit about books. I like to ask my guests about a great book. Have you, have you written any books with all your writing? I've contributed a chapter or two, but no, I haven't. I thought about it for a long time. It's such a big commitment. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. as, and so the closest I get is my work for Ars Technica, where they give me, you know, space to write, you know, 1,500 or 2,000 word stories, or even 2,500 word stories, depending. And it really gives me a chance to tell a story. And those take so long, I, I couldn't imagine writing a book. Although a really good friend of mine who I used to work with uh, in Virginia uh, has written any number of books, Earl Swift. Yes. And uh, he's he's told me sort of what it what it entails. And he's encouraging me to try it, but I haven't haven't made the leap yet. Well, as we're recording the show today, my guest uh, today, which will be uh, a week from today, about uh, when the show goes live, is Miles Collier. His first book, no, actually not his first book, but an amazing book, his newest book, The Archaeological Automobile, which is 300-something pages. It's huge, uh, incredible. And I asked him on the show... How long does this take? And he goes, oh, it's about two and a half years. Oh, I believe it. A lot of work, a lot of work. Well, is there one great book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, yeah. It actually comes from Earl Swift, and it, it's it's going to sound dull, but it is anything but dull. It's called The Big Roads. Uh, it, it is available digitally, and it's the history of the highway system in the United States. Oh, yeah. And it's 
But it's the way it's structured is it's told through the key people responsible for it and their lives. So it has a personality to it. It's not dry in the least. And it's it's such an interesting book. And it will also teach most Americans that Eisenhower was not responsible for the interstate highway system. But you're going to have to read the book to find out who was. But it's it's a fabulous book, and it's like eating chocolates. Once you you start, you just won't be able to stop. <laughs> I love it. Well, kind of like this podcast has been for me. I always say it's like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. I never know what I'm going to get because most of my guests I've not met until they call in. Uh, but at the <laughs> end of our talk, I feel like we're good friends like I do with you, Larry. So there you go. Car, car uh, enthusiasts always seem to get along quite well. Let's go on the ultimate drive. I have a unlimited amount of funds for you today. That means you get to pick any car in the world. And considering how many cars you've driven, this might be a challenge. Maybe not. Maybe we go back to the Rolls Royce or a Bentley. You get to be with anyone in the world. Now, this could be somebody who's passed as well. So I've got that magic trick up my sleeve and you can be driving anywhere you would like. So what does the ultimate drive look like for Larry Prince? Oh, it, it would probably be in Italy. I, I'd love to return to Italy and drive there. Probably in something, um, a classic, probably like an E-type. Ooh. I would love to just be in an E-type. My fr- my good friend of mine, my brother from another mother, uh, has several Jaguars, and I've been lucky enough to experience them. And uh, maybe like a Series 2 drop head. Cruising around Italy would be very nice in my book. <laughs> I think so. Now, if you could go with anyone, even somebody who isn't with us anymore, who would it be? Oh, um, no question. One of the people I'd love to be spending time with, and he was a a, a friend and colleague, is Charles Schultz, um, oh. the creator of Peanuts. A very dear friend and always loved spending time with him. And that would just be fun. And he, he actually drove an SL500, yep. uh, Mercedes SL500. That was his car. But certainly that would just be fun because he was always just someone I always admired, but then ended up being a part of my life. So that was very, I was very lucky for that. How fascinating. You know, he uh, lived in La Jolla where I grew up. And I remember him coming to our junior high to talk one day and thinking, wow, this is cool. And uh, I remember I went up and said hello to him and he, he said something to me and we ended up talking a little bit about cars. And I always just remember that. So yeah, he yeah. was a bit of a car guy, wasn't he? So was Jeff McNelly. Jeff McNelly now passed also did the comic strip shoe and he always had oh, a, like yeah. a 58 DeSoto in it. And that's because he owned a 58 DeSoto because he was very tall. And as he said, it's one of the only cars I can fit in. <laughs> uh, but cool. Charles Adams, Charles Adams was too, um, notably. And he actually did car cartoons for the New Yorker and was a noted car collector and enthusiast as was, um, Rube Goldberg. He was also an automotive enthusiast. So there are cartoonists who were car enthusiasts. Absolutely. Well, you've taken us on a fun drive, a fun ride today. Before I let you go, could you leave us with maybe some words of inspiration, a a success quote, or some type of a mantra that has meaning for you? Yeah, actually, you know, for anyone who thinks they'd like to start this or begin this, you know, you just have to start because as an art teacher once told me when I went to try watercolors he said you know the first 500 are the hardest (laughs) yeah and that's really when i look back at all the stories i've done uh, and it's it's been 26 27 years of this i thought i was a good writer 26 or 27 years ago and i know now no i'm a good writer now and it really just takes that amount of time to really learn your craft and it's but it's worth it it's fulfilling you really have to follow your passion and your dreams because whatever you do to make a living, you're going to be doing it for a long time. So make sure it's something you really love doing every day, and then it'll never be work. Absolutely. It takes time. Yeah, seat time, as they say. Very cool. How can people follow along with you? 
I'm in the Detroit Bureau on a daily basis, thedetroitbureau.com. I'm also probably in your local paper. And so you can follow along. And I do have a website, although I've been very bad about keeping it up to date, Larry, <laughs> larryprince.com. And uh, my name is spelled print with a Z at the end. Uh, so it's the German spelling. And I remember going to Germany once and saying, what does it mean? And they said, it means the same thing in German. It means in English. I said, son of the king. I said, somewhere my family screwed up. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere the king got lost. Hopefully it wasn't that crazy king uh, Ludwig down south that they drowned in the lake. Uh, we had a nice castle, though. I've been there before. That's a pretty neat event. I want to do a shout out to our mutual friend, Scott Schrader, uh, director of the Palm event, for introducing me to Larry. He's bringing some interesting guests this month to the show, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. And again, to learn more about this wonderful event taking place March 18th through the 20th at the Mar-a-Lago Club, just go to uh, thepalmevent.com. Calm. Larry, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise. Uh, this was great fun. So you and I talk again, my friend. I'll see you, you at the Palm event. You're welcome. I'll see you there, Mark. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!